your entire perception of the world is changed virtually by your thinking and by the stories that you are telling yourself, right? The stories you are consuming. I mean, try that as a practice, literally. It sounds so simplistic, but try that as a practice of absorbing only a more positive, solutionary storytelling, solution-oriented news cycles, and look at the way that you're starting to compute and see the world differently. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about yet. In fact, it's so well hidden by the negative noise in our landscape, the media landscape, that I'm calling this wave a conspiracy of goodness. And on this podcast, you'll hear from some of the people who are the doers, the givers, the change makers in that wave. And in fact, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you are a change maker an idea person in your own circles. So you were right to hold out hope for humanity. On this podcast, you're going to hear some people who are, who are just doing the most extraordinary things and having the freshest ideas. And we need that now more than ever. So hello, welcome. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the, the Goodness Exchange, which is the mothership website of this podcast. There you're going to find access to countless articles and videos and links to what's right with the world. And the purpose of this podcast and the Goodness Exchange is to help you have your have a spring in your step again today and live every day as if anything was possible. And we're going to get started on that right now with a fabulous guest, Sarah Yorgrau. Sarah is a two-time Emory Award-winning producer, a speaker, a storyteller, a social anthropologist, and she's dedicated to building narratives in her work um, around us finding fertile ground where we can truly get together. Her gift is really in telling compelling stories, and the world needs that gift more than ever. Without people like Sarah, it is just one doom and gloom story in the news and social media after another. You know, um, whether she's journeying deep inside some subculture in, in, in our American landscape, um, I'm going to tell you about a fabulous series that she was a part of where that had 450 million viewers, um, or she's traveling the world. She is dedicated to turning these great concepts that, that she has come across into more and more um, fertile ground. Again, that word, fertile ground for connectivity and um, powerful bridges of connection. So welcome, welcome, Sarah. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. I, I feel like we found, you know, I, I've joked with you, but I feel like I found kin in everything you're doing once I stumbled upon the goodness exchange. It's just like, wow, my people, my people. Well, I think we are driving at the same thing. We, I think we're driving at this, this choice that we have to make in our society right now about what we give our attention to. Absolutely. And I think that really comes down to, you know, ev everything in storytelling too is, is a reminder that it comes back to our own stories, right? And where we have agency to even choose what stories we're absorbing and choose what stories we're telling and digesting about the world that totally transform our, our point of view. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've been found myself saying these days, um, you know, we've got to worry as much about our worldview, at least as much as we are our waistline. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're all riding away on those pelotons and and we're and we're watching bad news while we're doing it i mean we <laughs> exactly what could happen if we shifted our energy towards another landscape towards another way of being and you know fortunately i know every generation says this but i i am so profoundly optimistic about the possibilities of now of this time right now particularly you know on the on the brink of everything we've all experienced all the change we've experienced and navigated that we know we can change towards a future that's going to be worth arriving at for all of us that is so true just right there a future that's worth arriving at for all of us okay and that goes to something that i want to start our conversation on um, I heard I did a deep dive into the in your, into your digital uh, footprint, and I found someone that said this about you. They said Sarah seems to effortlessly weave the seemingly mundane into profound, impactful stories. It's this it's this way that we're all like doing some really important things in our life, reading to our kids, or or doing a project for somebody who's who's really counting on us. We're, we're like doing it while we're standing on one foot so we can rush back to what? Exactly. Like it, what I hear in doing your, the research on you is that there are no mundane moments. I think, and I, and I promise I will not be a broken record. I'm just sharing the context of these past few years of so much. I mean, obviously we all had a very different experience with it, but I think the shared common thread that we all had was we got to confront that we got to confront our mortality, right? In a way that was a, is a blessing because that infuses our life with so much meaning. And we start to realize that these little moments in between that connect us back to each other, connect us back to ourselves. I mean, these are the moments worth amplifying, right? So many people arrived even at the top of their perceived mountains of what success was supposed to look like in their lives, their careers, what we've been digesting of our story of our society and realized actually the stuff that fulfills me and, and nourishes me are these everyday little moments of just being, just being happy, content and open, open to the possibilities of your life. Mm. You know, I, um, I want to start off our conversation also with a very related topic are the things that you learned in this grand adventure you had with micro and (laughs) returning the favor. If for anybody who didn't run across this, there were 105 episodes. Sarah made 105 episodes of a series called returning the favor with the 450 million viewers um, with Mike Rowe that, that sounds like an extraordinary adventure through America. I mean, it was a transformative experience to, and that's even diminishing it. It's I, you know, I grew up on the East coast in the Northeast. I, I was fortunate to have a parent from, you know, and my dad's from South Africa. My parents really supported travel in our life. So I've always been very curious about other people and worlds and ways of living, but I got to know this country better than most politicians back when that, when people were really in the campaigns and in the world. And I visited over a hundred different rural hamlets, whether it's rural hamlets in Appalachia, you know, inner city, Baltimore, inner city, Chicago, the rural, the rural fields of Illinois. I mean, everywhere you can imagine. And I know we traveled during 2016 to 2021. 
And you can remember that the larger societal narrative that was happening during that time, right? It was the time we were being told it was the most divided time in America, that we were broken beyond repair, that we were all completely different from each other. There was sort of no point and no opportunity um, to to connect between each other, right? Because we were, were so we're so divided geographically in this country, right? Rural, urban, we just don't have natural pathways between each other. And I spent my, the role on my, on this job, other than being a a co-host with Mike and executive producing the series is I would come in and actually earn trust in these communities. So I'd be dropped in, in the middle of, you know, rural Kentucky and I'd be plopped in (laughs) and I'd be wearing my uniform that just lasted me across the kind of my t-shirt and jeans And I would just go in and I would find the real people, the people in the community, understand their subculture, understand what their value sets were, what language they were using to define the worlds around them, right? Because every single, we're we're talking about so many of the same things and we have such different language, right? What we're using symbolically, what's meaningful to us, understanding what the challenges in this, as challenges and things that we love and things that are meaningful for us in a a culture. So um, I spent... So I spent countless hours in church pews, halls of worship, backyard barbecues, people's kitchens, living rooms. Um, you know, I I really got to know us as a country. And I became this very, very small, small subgroup of people who knew our potential amid, that was so counter to the larger national narrative, right? That I met with us offline in the world in our, in our truth and our day to day. And it just transformed the way that I experience and digest news in general. Right. Cause I, I, I met the data points. I met the headlines, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it just changes you. I had never, I had done all this research on your work and I never really overlaid that the timing of this. So if you cared to turn on the news at any given time, all you heard was all the acrimony and the the dysfunction. And yet here you were in community after community, each one of them very different. Very different. Finding people that were what? All we're all wanting the same thing. We like talk to us about the the similarities are so much bigger than the differences. Oh my gosh. And and I know that sounds I can't tell you how deeply it's anchored. I, I have lived this. I mean I have been in every scenario possible. I am I have been, you know I, I really know and understand the soil of this country, right? The, the variety of our landscape. And what just transformed me during that time, you know, I'll actually take you into this. When I first arrived in a certain in certain communities, there's a natural skepticism that comes when anyone is coming from the outside. And I'd say particularly when someone from the coasts is coming into the middle of the country, right? There's a little bit of suspicion of because we don't have enough natural inroads to meet each other. So we're not, this is not a common experience, right? For us to be in visitation in reality with each other. Um, and so can I just I will, pause for just a second. I, Give us a, just a little bit more detail so people can imagine. So you tell me if I'm right about this. So this is a show that, that Mike Rowe was championing. Mm -hmm. And of course he just didn't show up in town and start talking to locals. There had to be somebody who had the first person that was the first person to drop into whatever. 
Sure. And just oh, start... I'll, I'll tell you more about that then. Okay. Okay. So, and then you just start poking around the corners of town and talking to people. Like, what kind of person are you that you could just make friends with people that fast? Like, okay, go ahead. I just wanted to yeah. give people a little bit more context if they hadn't seen the show. Please, please, please. Yeah, for sure. I, so, so yes. So, Mike is obviously Mike, you know, is filming nine different series. Mike is a, is a busy man. Um, and so I, I propped in, I have a background in social anthropology. So I really love the way that subcultures can exist. And I'm a theater kid. So I love diving. I understand. And I assume that your world contains multitudes, right? And I'm excited to dive in and share and find a shared language where we can connect even without losing myself in the process. Right. Um, would just um, so my job would be to to literally go into these communities that were not always very excited to have me initially, right? They were like, "Who is the, you know?" Mind you, I was a new I was living in New York City at the time. I was a New York City TV producer. Talk about the least relatable human being in America, right? <laughs> like with all different kinds of assumptions in a time that we were deeply, deeply skeptical of the media, right? And we were starting to have those big dialogues, right? So I did not come into a welcome wagon or an excited, you know, excited procession with things. And what I did is I just, I tapped into this, this part of myself that I, that I realized we are so sorely, sorely needing. And, you know, so much of us have discovered this is we don't even know how to listen and sit with each other in any way. And I hadn't had opportunities to do that. So I would literally get dropped into a main street, say I was in, you know, a a beautiful little town in rural Tennessee, and they have their own, they have their own world. They don't, it's, it's a world that has a lot of people who are just living there generationally after generation. And I would pop in and I would have to earn trust in these communities. And I would do that by first coming in and saying, let's share our assumptions about each other. You know, and it would sort of get a nervous giggle about somebody said, let me actually give you a story. I was driving in right before COVID hit. I was driving in and I was doing um, some work around the opioid crisis in rural, te- in, uh, rural Appalachia, um, in the Tennessee border of Appalachia. And so I, I'm dropped in, this is a very contained community. And so I drop in and I have the only rental car. That's the loudest rental car (laughs) that's possible. It's left on the lot. And so I'm making a lot of noise as I'm coming in and I'm getting, and I, my job is to go in and find these communities in these churches and in these environments where people are gathering and build their trust and build community. So that by the time that all the camera crew comes in and the at the time Mike Rowe comes in, everyone is warmed up and is trusting and wants to, you know, we can create an environment to actually share a story, right? That's a huge part of documentary. You have to create that environment for stories to even flourish. And that requires a lot of back work. So what I would always do and what I did in this particular circumstance is I came up, I got a lot of doors slammed in my face, right? A lot of doors slammed in your face and you're just having to knock again and, and, and try again. And what I would do is I'd say, let's share our assumptions about each other right off the bat. And people would sort of look at you skeptically, you know, maybe nervously giggle. And I'd say, okay, here are my assumptions about, about this world. And I would rip off, I would rip off the most stereotypical, reductive, only the things that I could have ever just digested in the news, because that's the only experience I had about this community, right? From what I'd learned in the news, maybe read in a story. Um, And I would ask them, is this what I just described? Does that sound like you? Is that, is that something you would, and they would laugh and say, no, of course not. And then from that ground, I could say, so could we maybe imagine that some of the assumptions that you have about me 
and the assumptions that you might have about where I come from and what my intentions are, they might also not be exactly right. Right. And then, and then from that ground, we can meet each other because we can laugh and acknowledge what is the complexities. Because the reality is for most of us, this, these are the only opportunities we have to get to know about each other, right. Or what we're digesting in the news and the news makes, has historically made a lot of money off of fear, right. And off of us being different from each other. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how bizarre it was to live in, excuse me, I can't tell you how bizarre it was to live in a, a, a paradigm of understanding of how profoundly similar we actually are. We are so similar. It's almost comedic in terms of what our, our values are and what we want and what we want for our families and what we want for each other and our senses of what civility looks like and means like. And I think that we, we just are, we've, we haven't been able to be in dialogue because we don't have enough pathways or bridges to even get to know each other. And storytelling is the biggest vehicle for us to be able to amplify inroads so we can start to get curious about each other and then begin to understand and share, have a shared language, right? Because it's, we all speak English, but there's, I mean, depending on where I was going, I'd be talking either about, you know, Jesus, the spirit, nature, energy, the universe, yeah. But we're talking about the same thing, yeah. you know? Um, so it, it, it totally, it completely transformed me. I mean, I lived on the road every two weeks. I was in a totally different world. Um, and, and it just fueled me with this sense of real earned optimism on the ground as we just realized, wow, what, what an opportunity we were missing about each other by, by vilifying each other through these reductive narratives. Do you think this level of, um, of surprise, um, that you felt, um, and that probably the audience felt, do you think that was the secret of the success? What do you think the secret of the success of the series was? I think the secret of the success was there was no other place on the internet. We'd called it right. Cause it's streaming in the streaming world. Now there was no other place on the internet that was holding space for our multitudes and for, and for an opportunity that was even curious about each other, right? That was holding that space for us to hold the nuance and um, and make it fun and uplifting because that's it, this this work can be fun, you know. Conflict resolution and, and dialogue it can be it's a fun curiosity satiating adventure. And I think that I think having it have humor in it and having things always feel like you're it's entertaining first. It's humorous first, um, so you feel your guard is down. You're feeling safe. You're not having someone coming in in a big teaching moment, right? Where we're sort of visiting the zoo with each other. Mm-hmm. We're holding space for, you know, this is Mary. Mary is this, 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 and this. And she's going to challenge your assumptions about the world. That's going to make you start to, to take, I mean, I think the show, the series of the show is about people who are giving back to their communities in really yeah. meaningful ways, right? So right. that was an enormous part of it. And we've so hardwired to crave that kind of dopamine and that view of the world. We're hardwired for service and to be of a greater purpose um, in the world and for each other. And so that always fuels us, right, in some capacity. But I think knowing that there was so much good happening 
on the ground in the world where we gathered communities and communities together. We had strangers giving each other, you know, funding projects for each other and, and, and donating enormous, enormously generous contributions to people that they'd never meet and didn't know. It was this sort of, it felt like this utopian idea grounded in our real shared reality that was happening simultaneous to the news cycle stories, right? That's, I think the worse that the top news cycles got, the better our experience and our fan base, the bigger it grew, right? Because people were starving for it. Well, weren't you, weren't you essentially, the, 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 the thing was you would discover people who were doing incredible good things for their communities, change agents. And then that you would have a part of the show was uncovering who they were and how they worked and how the community depended on them. And then there was always like a surprise at the end. Yes. Yes. So so it was a show within a show. And that's why it was, you know, I laughed every single day for four years in spite of what was happening in the world. Right. So it was because so we would have a show. So I would meet the community pretending that I was a I was a documentary filmmaker, which I am. But I was a documentary filmmaker and producer who was coming to do an expose on the good work that they're doing in the world, on the beautiful, generous work that they're doing for their community. They had no idea Mike Rowe even existed in this, you know, stance. They had no idea that he was coming to town. So I would pretend that it was for the sort of mom and pop, you know, style. I would, I would get them on the sort of lowest common denominator of what they would anticipate for, you know, for scale of what they're able to maximize. Right. Um, so, and that was a part of it is also sussing out, you know, making sure that people that were, were elevating the right stories, right? Doing our due diligence that we're making sure that these are people who are doing this with or without the camera, right? Um, so that we can find people really in, of that integrity because they're going to be the ones who are going to be the most influential. So I would go into these communities that would think that they were expecting this to just be this little, little docu-series we were doing on them, which was wonderful. And they were so excited by that. And little did they know we were simultaneously conspiring with their entire communities. We were conspiring with people all over the the country who were compelled by their stories. Um, We were conspiring with their municipalities, which whatever they needed authentically to sort of throw rocket fuel on their endeavors. And then I would bring in on the last day, I would bring in micro and just drop, drop him into their universe. And, you know, depending on where we were geographically, people were either sobbing and knew him and were so, you know, he has this wonderful representation of, of so many stories in this country, or they didn't really know him, which was his own comedy, right? Um, within that. So, so it was a show within a show, which always culminated with these huge sort of reveals for what we called our heroes. And those were everyday people, right? This is us... This is, you know, a big theme of the storytelling that I follow is is really us leveraging our influence towards something that can be more generative and a a greater force multiplier, right? Like, let's use our influence to amplify these people. These are the people that we should be celebrating on a larger scale, right? The ones who are getting up day in, day out, no matter of the political cycles and, and really pushing against the wall to make a dent, a dent in an arena, right? In spite of it. And often the most optimistic people are found in the the darkest shadows and and pockets of 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 our country's challenges right the challenges that are universal of being being alive in a modern world 
Okay. This, we got so much to talk about here. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about all kinds of great insights that you learned through this whole journey and what you're adding to the world in the future as well. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear more about this grand journey and other insights. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious and 18% more optimistic? Just four minutes. We've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, You can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we that we have meaning and purpose there. For companies that want to create optimistic and values-driven work cultures, our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation, interesting collaborations, and possibility. And most importantly, the Goodness Exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages because your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind and that sense of flourishing I mentioned before, where employees' well-being isn't just a perk. It's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Sarah Yorgrau. Sarah is a uh, two-time Emmy award-winning producer, storyteller, uh, anthropologist. We haven't talked too much about that, but you've got a background that kind of primes the pump for your curiosity. And I'm sure that that is part of the equation here, which, which we should talk about. You know, I've found that in my own life, when I'm around people, I know I disagree with me or they're having all kinds of wrong assumptions. Instead of getting aggravated, I get curious and I turn the questions onto them. Like, tell me more. And I'm sure you can improve my way of thinking on this. I have all these expressions I use. Talk to us about this anthropology connection and the curiosity that you've had to bring to this project. And I'm sure all your projects to, to find that special place where we all go, Oh, I'm like them. They're like me. I mean, this is the richest, this is the thesis of all of it, right? It really all comes down to sort of gamifying your curiosity towards the goal of of connection. Because I think so much, I mean, I know it's beyond thinking. I know the most important thing for me is rent genuine connection. You know, I have, I have a husband who speaks English as a second language. And so we're constantly going, okay, what does that word mean to you when you're using that word so that we can ensure that we're actually dialoguing and having that sort of connection. And 
you know, so much of my anthropology background, my theater background, my multicultural background, even the way that I was raised in a multi-denominational home of, of studying all religions, you know, all the organized religions and seeing the through line to all of it. I know that we have connective tissue back to each other. And so for me, the power of language is the greatest amplifier into each other's different personal paradigms. And what I mean by that is my goal always first more than anything is genuine communication and connection. That's the most fertile ground. Often we're just talking over each other and talking around each other. So we're very rarely in dialogue and very rarely in communication. Um, But the more time that I spend with a human being with that goal in mind, the goal of genuine connection, I am almost always able to find find that part of them that I know it comes into also just respecting another person's experience and humanity and assuming that how could it possibly have the exact same lived experience than me, right? That's part of our, our beauty of our country, right? I'll take our country even as, as, as just the container for this. We all live in completely different lived everyday experiences that are going to have some small shifts and nuances in the way that we see and observe the world. And, if I can come in there and acknowledge and acknowledge the legitimacy and the validity of someone else's lived experience while still guiding us towards the shared goal of, of collaboration, connection, communication, even, um, it's getting curious and remembering to, to gamify this, right? This can be, this can be fun. I don't need to be threatened by someone else's worldview and experience because that's based off of their lived everyday experience that's different from mine. Right. So it's actually not even a, it's not a threat to me. I'm curious. I'm more curious around. Um, so I, I really think it's about it's about staying so curious and gamifying that in some way and remembering, remembering that that's our that's our beauty in the world. That's what makes life so interesting and worthwhile. If we were all these homogenous, you know, completely unified, we have 50 different states. We have 50 different opportunities to live in a different sort of way, but we need to work as a culture to, to actually figure out how to, how to bridge. So we're, cause we're missing out, we're missing out on each other. We'd often find in dialogue with people that I, you know, during the series and just over the course of my work, there's people that I would make all sorts of assumptions that they fall into a bubble of one, maybe it's a, a partisan bubble where I assume I can anticipate the way that someone votes or what their political leanings are based on the values that we're sharing together um, in a room or in an experience. And the amount of times I have been wrong about that, the amount of times that I have assumed one thing and and been sort of shocked at the discovery, it's just, you're just remembering we are so much more nuanced than any of these stories are trying these, you know, when I'm saying these stories, I'm meaning some of these more negatively tilted news stories about each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these like small reductive data stories, we are so multidimensional. And, you know, I think a huge part of even staying curious about another person is, rem- is it has to begin with being curious about yourself and holding space for your own multidimensionality. Because once you can recognize how multidimensional you are, then you can assume that in another human being. Well, that's another place where I find like when you're saying gamification, I'm not sure. uh, I'm not sure I would understand that. And for some reason it kept clicking through my head when you were using the word gamification over. And then I thought I want to share something with our audience, what that means to me. And you can riff on it if you like, but Here's what I do. I, I 
feel contempt for people just like everyone else. You know, like you say, you make an assumption by one little thing that somebody says or something they're wearing or all the things you just jump to a conclusion and you feel contempt. So I, that's how I gamify this curiosity thing. Whenever I feel contempt, I've taught myself over the last 10 years that triggers my curiosity. I go, Oh, I don't really like this person or I don't. Blah, blah, blah. And then I, oh, and then I gamify it by saying, okay, get curious, exchange contempt for curiosity. And as you say, Every time I'm astonished at how wrong my assumptions were. So if any, anybody listening to this wants a little trick, when you feel that contempt bubbling up, pause just two seconds and get curious and you will be gobsmacked by it, what comes next. I bet you've exactly, done that all the time. That is exactly right. And I love that story tidbit about that because that's, you know, it's, there's a, different sort of, you want to talk about euphoric feeling and getting and a, and a bliss surge in your body. It's the catharsis of real connection within that. And when you can, I too also chase down, I don't like having, I know that what I'm experiencing of someone is one fragment of their whole, right? And I don't always have the energy or the desire and the input, right? I have to, yeah. you know, you have to make choices in the day, but I solving that and, and, and finding that shared humanity and getting that connection moment where we can actually feel that really mutual, that mutual appreciation, mutual respect, like on the highest level for each other's human experience, that tends to be the most generative place in which we can build from. Mm-hmm. I was looking over here on the screen, um, to get a, a, a podcast episode, but you know, um, I will pass this on. There's a scientist, a scientist in the world, Dr. Ian Kerr, who is the world's leading scientist studying whales. And he said something to me that works perfectly into our conversation about these assumptions we have with others and all that. So he has, he has a video that has 26 million views about a, a kind of digit, a kind of technology he's invented to study whales called the Snotbot. It's essentially a drone that flies over the whale. Now their boat can be 400 yards away. So they're not just, they're not doing the, the old way of studying whales. The boats had to be right on top of them, but now they can fly this drone. And when the whale blows, all the snot goes up and falls on Petri dishes that are on this drone. So I encourage people to, to listen to that episode. Um, maybe my producer can get, get that episode number for us, but anyway, I'll, I'll find it somewhere. But my point in, 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 um, in bringing that up is that he said something to me that stuck with me ever, <laughs> ever since he goes, Linda, you know, Oh, here it is. It's episode 116. If people want to tune in, it's a fabulous episode. He's an incredible scientist and very funny and, you know, 40 years at, at it being an innovator. So he says, Linda, you know how, how much we know about whales? And I said, well, I don't know really. And he goes, well, if you just saw me in my kitchen, when I'm making a cup of coffee, would you think you knew Ian Kerr? Would you just write everything about him? If that's the only moment of my day you saw was the two minutes when I'm making coffee in my kitchen. But that's the way we are about whales. We only see, the only thing we know about them is that moment when they break the top of the water and roll over. That's really all we know about them. And when he said that, I, I of, of course I wouldn't think I knew anything about Ian Kerr if I just saw a little video of him making coffee in the morning. You wouldn't know anything. But that's what we're doing to everyone around us out in the world. When we, when we say the words, 
a little small Tennessee Appalachian town. Just saying those words brings up all kinds of cultural biases and all kinds of things that are <laughs> incredibly wrong. You must have walked into town after town after town with, you know, your bag on your, your, your virtual bag on your back of, of cultural things that you thought you knew. And then it just got blasted all oh, day long. The humility, I mean, the a absolute humility and just being slammed, exactly getting blasted all day long is a perfect descriptor of it because, well, it just by, you know, episode seven of really having been in the arena of just getting my, my butt kicked for by, by all these assumptions is you just realize how if you go in the, like the power of your intentionality of real curiosity gives so much back to you. You are the one who benefits from that at the end of the day. You are the one who is uplifted and it spreads to everything that you do, right? Because, you know, not that this goes with thing, but loving people live in a loving world. And if I can train my mind to start to look for things that feel interesting, curious, if I can assume that this person is going to um, have curiosity back about me and someone, it's going to inspire that to be true. You know, there's... There's that's, that's, that's the power of intention of coming into some of these places, um, where you just have to come in with so much assumption that you don't know anything. And, and that's the most fertile, beautiful ground to start to build, to actually be able to listen and hear and build a reality that's much more reflective of reality. Right. Yes. And, and that is a giant point too, is that, <laughs> oh, I was listening to a documentary the other night about, um, how, how much our sight screens out of the, of the real world. We're only seeing like 1% and then our brain fills in the gaps. It's so crazy. Okay. So if that's the case, and this is one of the, it sounds like one of the big takeaways that you had from this grand exper uh, experience. Talk to me about the fact that you must've been feeling yourself changing every day. I found a spot where you, you said, I am not attached to the person I am today. I am. I think, yeah. I think that a lot of us fight for the person we are today. Like, um, like we fight to validate whatever we think about ourselves or the world today, but you just, you know, you are not attached to the person you are. I am not attached to the person, you know, the, the full, the full lines there, I think are, I am not attached to the person I was, nor am I attached to the person I am. I am only attached to becoming the most authentic version of me. And that person will always be changing. And, you know, that became a mantra for me as I realized how quickly the rigidity of our narratives, our narratives have to be flexible about the world, right? We all have that, that experience, that shared experience we had, you know, 2020 to 2022 or three or whatever your relationship was with that time frame. But we lived in a time where we, all these assumptions that we thought were solid and pillars in the sand ended up being movable, right? They ended up shifting. And for so many of us, if we build these narratives that are too rigid around our world and our stuff, we're not going to be expansive enough to hold in the shifting nature, right? The living is a dynamic act. Mm -hmm. The practice, right? The more literally on a, on a cellular, even physics level, we're inputting new data points every single day that's going to challenge and eradicate old narrative. Your entire perception of the world is changed 
virtually by your thinking and by the stories that you are telling yourself, right? The stories you are consuming. I mean, try that as a practice, literally. It sounds so simplistic, but try that as a practice of absorbing only a more positive, solutionary storytelling, solution-oriented news cycles, and look at the way that you're starting to compute and see the world differently. You know, we what's the Anais Nin quote of um, the world is not... Oh, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, right? We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And that's going to be shifting all the time, right? That's a, to me, the mark growth requires change, right? There's not, I don't mourn no longer being seven years old as I become 14 years old, as I become 25 years old, as I become 30. And there's some reductive narrative, I think, because we live in a world that's really forced binary style thinking that actually really limits our minds, our our minds ability. We're using, you know, 20% of our minds capability within that when we're thinking just in these binaries, good, bad, black, white, you know, even on a partisan level. And it just, as we can remember that we're going to be like change has to be part of that growth, right? That's a, that's a positive thing. And some, for some of us, we find a lot of safety in the idea that we're just, we stop changing at a certain age and, and that gets rooted, but we miss out on all the natural growth that's happening in, in, in our worlds and what we're capable of to change wise as a society. We're deeply, deeply capable, deeply capable. So talk to me about how stories impact that, because you and I uh, both enjoy, I know, a, a program that's on PBS called Finding Your Roots. We talked about that. It's uh, if for folks who don't don't know about Finding Your Roots, take a look at it. It's extraordinary. You get sucked in. It, he, uh, Lewis Gates, interviews people that most of us know, you know, people that are well-known, and he does the most deep dive into their, their DNA and their genetics and their, and the generations that led them to where they are today. And it is such an extraordinary realization that they are learning stories about their great grandparents that should have been passed on. There's no doubt about it, that we are not telling stories through the generations that need to be told that, that give us a a footing for where we started and where we came from and, and, and I think that that would affect our day-to-day lives if we knew that, like, I remember the episode about Oprah, where she learned that her ancestor way back started the first school for um, newly freed slaves in, I, I can't remember what, uh, it may have been Mississippi, but what state it was, but <laughs> what are the, I mean, she doesn't come by who she is accidentally. She's got somebody back there in her gene pool that would do that. At a time when, you know, it was not considered anything anybody wanted was to educate the slaves, former slaves. So in any case, talk to us about how stories are not transferring through society, not through, transferring through generations. I even think it, it's down to organizational stories. I think of all the really great corporations in the world that started with a founder who really saw a need had the right expertise to provide it, whether, and of course they were going to make money. They want to put bread on the table, but they, they started with the founder who really saw their purpose and how they could contribute to society. And those stories are all lost. So talk to us about story. Yeah. Story, you know, story is, story is the thing that keeps us human. 
Story is the thing that absolutely keeps us human. And I think it's, it has the most transformative power to expand our sense of, of real world possibility. I also think we're in a, we're in a time right now where we're, where we've forgotten that we come from somewhere and there'll be something after us, right? And so we live in this immediacy of this now that has been, you know, technological advancements are incredible and they're and they're not going anywhere and they're gonna work, they're gonna work to help us in so many different ways. But the only way that they're gonna work in a in a positive way that we have the power to shift in this is if we ground ourselves in the power of story that is deeply, deeply human, right? And you know, I think we we come into this world each generation and this generation more than ever, this people alive right now of, of just forgetting that we don't have to begin from scratch in something. There's been so much work and experience and, and narrative, narrative powers that we can pull from for a source of inspiration, pull for as a source of hope, right? As what, what was, you know, we, it, maybe it's a different environment that we have a lot more, you know, overt tech, but every, every generation comes through and feels like, wow, this is the thing. And so to remember that we're all contributing to a story right now that we may not see its completion ever, but have, but that's, that's an illusion as well. Right. It's like we have, there's just something so fundamental around having story that weaves us between each other, that weaves us to our, to our pasts and helps to be our, our contribution for our future, for the future legacies, right. We're part of a larger human story, um, that I think would provide people with a tremendous amount of comfort to recognize, you know, the scale is, is daunting for many people, but story, story is the thing that we can hold on to that will keep us human and keep us curious. How about courage? How about doesn't, I, I think it's fundamentally story that gives us courage. Like my mom, um, was an orphan by age 10 and made her way across the United States by herself from the San Francisco, uh, San Diego to Washington, DC. It's a crazy story. And, uh, I think she's the source of my original courage. If that story, if that story doesn't get passed down, then, then do we lose this, um, this edge that we need to take those big steps? Yeah. I mean, I'd say about, Talk to me about that, that the courage um, and where that comes from in, in your world and what you saw. Because I bet you a lot of these people that were do-gooders that you saw on the road, they just didn't pop up out of nowhere. They were doing good because somebody in their line started this way of being, right? Absolutely. And I, I also would just harken back to the fact that most, I think the qualification, the prerequisite for any light bearer is that they've spent a lot of time in the dark and they've spent a lot of time in shadow. Right. And so, and I think about that every time that I think about when I'm in periods of shadow or struggle or that this is the fundamental, you know, there's a Cahil Gibran quote from the prophet of making space for my sadness is carving out my capacity for joy on the other end of it. Right. So it's literally like thinking of it like a cup in your internal body that it's carving out its capacity for joy on the other end of it. They're, they're connected that full human experience and they're both equally natural and equally necessary. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, courage is the fundamental it's courage stems into also that just sense of profound belief and belief is a story. Belief is a narrative 
right? And we find it in all the areas of our life, but belief is the thing that moves the mountain, right? Belief is the thing that gets us to get out of bed in the least practical way and, and go again towards something. And we have to rely on these stories um, that are both ancestral, right? It's like the power of being an American right now and it is that so many of us had incredible journeys to get here, right? Our families took incredible uh, you know, voyages and we have different tracks to get in here, but they took bravery and courage when you were here, right? To, to build on this space. Um, and so there's just something, narrative is the thing. Narrative is, we are all, I think the, really my answer that I feel so propelled with in all of this is that we have agency to choose our story around what we what we believe to be true in the world about what can be possible and story story is that thing that's going to allow it to become true right so you have like the courage of my ancestors and the courage of my familial experience my family's from the diaspora right where were jews from from eastern europe um flood the diaspora went all over the country came to south africa all over the place um and that sense of there being a fighter somewhere in my cellular body even on those days when i feel like i'm i have nothing left in me and i'm and uh, and i want to throw in the towel and i'm 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 deep in shadow i pull from that well that well i have to keep that well and that well can be full of painful stories of the overcoming right that's what we root for in the human experience and um so yeah, I, I implore people to study their ancestry in that way, to study their story that belongs to them in some way. And then remembering that their story, even if it feels like, who am I speaking to? What is my real immediate connection in the world? Where am I really making a progress? This, the generations that are going to come after you are going to pull from some of that story of your courage and bravery. You have to believe things into being. I think it's also um, helps us find um, compassion and patience with others. You know, what's that saying? Um, you know, everybody's carrying a burden. Some people just carry it better than others. And I, sometimes when I'm in, in a bit of friction with somebody in particular in my mind, I, um, I hardly ever engage in friction outwardly, but I might still have it inside me. <laughs> I, I try, I try and remember that there's probably a story there. There's probably a story there. And yeah, I've just never met anybody that I, that I didn't start out disliking. And then when I got curious, heard more, tell me more, tell me, you know, I'm curious about how you got to that mindset, blah, 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 in a loving way, asking these questions, boy, it doesn't take very long to hear somebody else's story and go, ah, oh, that makes perfect sense. And, and really what grounds me in that for myself and that, cause I think that's an incredibly, that's the most valuable tool, right. To be able to come out of that and not build then a whole narrative world around this one small experience is think about the days that you're not in your best. You woke up late. You're late to meaning things don't feel like they're going your way. You're less compassionate. And maybe you're a little bit sassier or spicier in your mood with people. And you're having a one interaction with somebody and then if someone were to build an entire narrative off of this, this little micro point of the way that you were behaving in, in your life that day, that would not feel like, how would you feel just remembering the humanity and all of that, that you are also someone who's had a day like that, or you are also someone who's um, experienced something like that, but that's not your full story. So make the assumption that it's not theirs. Mm -hmm. I hope this conversation inspires folks to, you know, 
uh, really look at the story behind actions and others and ask bigger questions about the stories we're hearing on the news because they're very selective about what parts of the story they they tell us, of course. But, you know, if you, if this conversation had only been two or three minutes long, what do you really wish people knew? We talked about a lot of things today. I really, really wish people knew how, how, how much, how, how much we have in common. And I know that sounds maybe reductive, but I'm just in shock at how much I didn't anticipate that. I assumed we would have these huge differences. I assumed that we'd be so unlike each other, particularly people who maybe voted differently than me and voted, you know, in, in some way. And I had a whole story around them and I've just had that challenged time after time, after time, after time, um, in the, in, in the true intimate settings where people revealed their, their real selves and I could get to actually sit with them and know them, um, even in everyday activities, but we have so much in common and we're missing out on each other. That's really the urgency of it. We're missing out on opportunities to collaborate and innovate towards a lot of shared goals we have, right? We are wasting a lot of time in the, in the useless act, right. Of just the energy giveaway of, of our own limited assumptions about each other and our, you know, non-constructive anger and our non-constructive, like we just, if we can drop into the pursuit and reshift and transmute some of that judgment we have about each other and some of that anger, and we can drop into curiosity and inquiry and put ourselves in settings, right? Walk our talk, yes. right? The novelty of walking our talk in the most minor ways, putting yourself, visiting a space or a community that maybe you wouldn't have found yourself in or been in sitting in a dialogue circle. There's so many opportunities for this, but we are just missing out on each other by thinking incorrectly that we don't have this incredible commonality. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm assuming that these are the concepts um, that you put into your work as a videographer and a producer, and I know that um, you are, your goal, I, I assume your goal is to start, um, not start, but continue, but start to get better and better um, social curiosity, a social contract around learning stories. Um, tell me what has to happen next in your working world, in the in the way that you want to build common ground. I should have men mentioned that a long time ago. You have a common ground studio, which is an amazing uh, business around videography and producing great stories for various entities. So tell me what has to happen next to get your way of thinking about, um, about building a better culture around story. Tell me what has to happen next. Sure. So yeah. So at, at common ground studios, we're a, we're a storytelling agency and a production house. So we do all things around narrative and construction. Um, and we're really built and propelled by sort of the Oscar Wilde quote of life imitates art right? The power that we have for story to help shift our cultural zeitgeists. Um, and it's based on this, uh, this based on our belief and our data backed belief that just like we need representation across gender, race, a creed, whatever it might be, we need more representation to be able to pull from of our greater social possibilities, right? Our greater real world possibilities within that. Um, you know, art has the most 
the greatest power to influence and connect and to remind us that each of us are human and have a whole other story. And so we're, we're very, very lucky in the sense that finally the markets are starting to wake up to the reality that, that uplifting solution oriented asset frame stories of our possibility that are feel authentic and real and are told by the communities that we're serving, right. Told like who tells the stories equally as important as the story being told, mm-hmm. um, that this is good for everyone's bottom line, mm-hmm. right. Because we live in a capitalist structure. So we have to adhere to this. Um, these are the goals and, you know, for us to be able to move up the Maslow hierarchy of needs, like we need to make sure that we're safe and in that. So, we finally are starting to work with brands and um, different organizations and companies who realize that the more that they can share an uplifting, that they are really in the world, making an uplifting impact, sharing their community stories that are helping to have someone say, wow, I really resonate with that. And now I can begin to pull from whether it's my lived experience, I can start to absorb. Um, my brain can actually start to shift and believe like the way that we're art has always done this for us. Think of the Ted Lasso effect, right? Why it's so powerful. It's like, because it's a beautiful way of us being, right? That's, um, and so, so yeah, so our, our biggest thing is we need, we need more and more brands to understand the power of reaching their audiences differently, resonating with their communities differently, um, building the bottom line that is both financial as well as spiritual, right? We need our, 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 we need us to, the, the happier we are, like this kind of content trends five times more than negative and, and, you know, challenge focused, um, content. So it's, it's just, there's a huge, huge opportunity for brands to understand that they can be stories can be a bridge between real world uplift and real world impact. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we've got to, um, give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, we, we think that the business, like there needs to be some separation between people doing good in the world and the business world. Like the lines are so blurry now with all the burgeoning social innovators in this world and social entrepreneurs. I I can foresee a time when, when you almost have to be a social entrepreneur, no matter what, if you're selling dish soap, you're going to have to also find in your story, this way that you are fundamentally making the world a better place with your business or people are going to start turning their, their backs on, on folks. So I, I thank you for your role in this transition that we're probably in and, and don't know it yet where, um, you know, 69% of consumers, um, self-identify as values driven Mm. 69%. So if, and that's from a very big uh, global study, if that's happening, then we have to have brands who care both about the bottom line and the impact they're leaving in their story on the planet. Absolutely. I thank you for joining us and talking to us so much about this wonderful journey you've been on and the things you're learning. And um, let's let's chat again after you've you've reshaped the story about a bunch of uh, <laughs> more folks. I love <laughs> that. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for Um, having me. Well, um, Sarah is one of these innovators that's looking at, at a way to put bread on the table and do the world a great favor by, by lifting up a part of society. That's important. Storytelling, videography, business, marketing, all that. We can have it all. We can have folks that have good conscious um, efforts like she does to make 
art, make marketing, make pieces that matter and improve all our lives. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. I hope all the, um, I hope you'll check out the goodness exchange because I was telling um, Sarah right before we started recording that every article on the goodness exchange, which is a fundamentally good news website. We, we tell the story of people who are doing the most remarkable things in this world that no one knows about. And in those articles, every article, if you're not a reader, fine, there's always a beautiful video made by someone like Sarah. And, um, I, we, that's one of the reasons why I was so wholeheartedly anxious to chat with you because I do know the power of great videography and story. Absolutely. So I hope all the connections Sarah and I have shared with you today carry you through your week and you will find the same joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thanks. 